Good morning, everyone, live from the bowels of the Harold Mountain Student Center on the campus of Auburn University. This is Compact Discourse Live once again on Weagle 91.1 FM, WeagleFM.com, Auburn's longest-running student-run radio station since 1971, about to celebrate what will be 52 years upcoming this April. So if you're listening on your terrestrial radio stations, on your car, if you have one in your house, that'd be a new one, or even on the Internet Superhighway, as Jack Hard would once say, I thank you for joining us today. That's right, I say I thank you for joining us today because while it seems like my co-host, color man and whatever, Davis Carroll, can always get co-hosts to join his show and guests, I am once again coming to you live here on Weagle 91.1 FM solo. Always seems to happen that way. I don't know what exactly we're going to talk about. Probably going to cope our way through some Auburn football and Auburn basketball, get excited about Auburn gymnastics, talk about some other things. There's quite a bit to discuss in the sports world. And we'll certainly get to all that at some point or another. But it's great talking with you all once again. Obviously, if you've listened to my compact discourse in the past, you're thinking, this is a little different. What, what is Alex Houston doing here Um, doing here on Tuesdays instead of Mondays? I actually had to change to Tuesdays since I got a class at 9 a.m. on Mondays. It isn't exactly the most ideal situation to do a show and go to class at the same exact time. So instead, I'm sitting here on Tuesdays. A little bit closer uh, to to campus now since I'm stuck at the quad. We're not even going to get into that unless somebody wants to ask me about that. Hey, you can call in at 334-844-9345. That's 334-844-9345. And I'll try and notice that the phone is ringing if you're able to call. So today, primarily, let's talk about a report going on around right now that apparently the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are going to fire Byron Leftwich. Byron Leftwich, of course, former Buccaneers quarterback, since been an offensive coordinator for the Bucs for a while, been touted as one of the biggest and best offensive gurus in the country. Let me just go through his credentials right here. He's got 10,000 passing yards. Uh, 10,000 passing yards, 58 touchdowns. He's been a Super Bowl champion. He won Super Bowl 43 as a backup quarterback with the Steelers. He was also a two-time Maction Most Valuable Player of the Year as he was quarterback at Marshall and was a first-round pick, the seventh pick in the draft to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Played with the Atlanta Falcons, Pittsburgh Steelers, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and then back with the Steelers. He was then quarterback's coach for the Cardinals for two seasons, interim offensive coordinator for the Cardinals in 2018, and then has been the Tampa Bay Bucks coordinator since 2019. And the report says right now that Byron Leftwich is on his way out. And I'm trying to get up exactly who is the first to report this because obviously you don't want to get, get too ahead of the news. You also don't want to report it incorrectly here. So let's see. Looking right now. Interestingly enough, I can't seem to find the report, but let's see. just reading stuff on people arguing back and forth whether or not Byron Leftwich is the problem or not. I mean, I think the problem with the Bucks, yeah, it looks like NFL rumors from Bleacher Report have reported it. A lot of people saying they want to go after and get Byron Leftwich. I think the biggest problem with the Buccaneers is not Byron Leftwich. It's the fact that Bruce Arians retired at a very odd time seemingly to get Todd Bowles, that job as head coach, 
The Bucs have an old, injured roster. They do not have a means to run the football. Now, I'm not exactly a Buccaneers fan, not in the slightest, so I certainly can't claim to have watched their entire season nor understand their offense completely. But there's got to be a point where you have to realize that, I mean, in my opinion, whether it's Leftwich's fault that they can't run the ball or just because they don't have the roster to run the ball, I'm going to say it's more like they don't have the roster because they've run the ball in the past. And now Leftwich is gone, and evidently Todd Bowles is sticking around. Now, Todd Bowles is one of the finest defensive coordinators in all of football. There's no debating that. I'm not going to pretend that he's not a brilliant defensive coordinator. He has been for a long time since his days as a secondary coach with Miami, an interim head coach there, interim defensive coordinator with the Eagles, defensive coordinator with the Cardinals, then the head coach of the Jets, then was defensive coordinator of the Bucks, and now head coach yet again. There's no denying that Todd Bowles is a great defensive coordinator, but he's not a good head coach. He has two, and I say this in quotes, winning seasons – as a head coach, one is when he was interim head coach with the Dolphins and he went 2-1. and one. That's a winning season since he won more games than he lost. And then his first year with the Jets, he went 10-6, and six, missed the playoffs, and never won more than five games over the next three years. He was 5-11, 5-11, and 11, and, 11, and then 4-12. and 12. And then this year, he went 8-9 and nine in the worst division in football. He went 8-9. and nine. The only reason that the Bucs made the playoffs – is because everybody else behind them finished seven and nine, and that is that is correct. It's Panthers seven and nine, Saints seven and nine, Falcons seven and nine. Look at the Bucks' schedule for a moment here, and I mean, they they got into the playoffs winning three of their last seven. They went three and four down the stretch after the bye week, and they still got, that includes an overtime loss to the Cleveland Browns. I believe that was one of Deshaun Watson's. Actually, that was still when Jacoby Brissett was playing. Excuse me. So you've got that. Then you've got a one-point win over the Saints, an overtime victory over a lifeless Cardinals team, a 30-24 to win over the Panthers, which included a 20-point comeback at the end. And then they even lost their last game against the Falcons, but it all worked out anyway because the Panthers beat the Saints at the end of the season. So it's not like this team was some juggernaut, and it's not like Todd Bowles has ever really done anything to indicate that he's a good head coach. Now, yes, obviously, every head coach in any level of football, it seems like, comes from a coordinator or position coach position. Duh. You can't just one day go from nothing to a head coach. Obviously, you promote coordinators to give them a chance to be a head coach when they show that they've excelled at their job. This is not an unprecedented concept, and I'm not decrying, say, the Jets for doing that and for other teams for doing that. But when you get one chance and you fail, and then, I mean, yes, it was the Jets, so sure. For the sake of argument, you could definitely say that the New York Jets had a terrible roster and terrible management that set Todd Bowles up to fail. Sure. Why not? But now, going 8-9, and nine, I mean, the defense has played well enough, but the offense has certainly been lackluster. How much of that is to fire someone like Byron Leftwich? Now, 
Leftwich is probably going to get an offensive coordinator job somewhere in the NFL this year. I would not be surprised if he gets an offensive coordinator job somewhere because at this point, there's a lot of teams out there that if you fire your offensive coordinator, you're unlikely to get an up-and-come, especially if you have a lame-duck head coach, like the Washington, for example, not to, not to plug the Washington Commanders, my team, unfortunately, dreadingly my team. But with Ron Rivera, a coach that might be on his way out, an owner that's probably going to be gone, a new regime coming in at some point, being an offensive coordinator there is less about upward movement and just trying to get a job. They've been looking at a lot of fired coaches like Pat Shermer, for example, among many others. Leftwich could certainly go there. I just don't know if this is the right call from the Buccaneers. I think there's a lot of issues with this team but I don't think that it was offensive coordinator because their offense has been stellar in years prior, and that 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 remains the same. They've also got an aging Tom Brady who still played well, but this year you know he had six fifty here not that's postseason sixty six percent completion percentage, twenty five touchdowns and nine picks. Last year it was forty three touchdowns, twelve interceptions, and fifty three hundred yards. Just a very different. Different setup. And let's go and look at the running backs, right? Leonard Fournette has essentially been a non-factor in the running game and in the offense this year. He has only 668 yards rushing. He had five carries for 11 yards in last night's loss to the Cowboys. But last year, he was doing a lot better. I just don't – I don't think that an offensive coordinator suddenly forgets how to do their job, especially year to year. Now, they are obviously – Offensive coordinators, defensive coordinators, and head coaches that their system, their scheme becomes outdated over the course of 10 to 20 years. You know, I think you see that more in basketball than anything else, really. And I could certainly talk about that later on when we start discussing college basketball. But I don't think this was the correct call for this organization. If this is, again, it's all reports, there's a very likely chance that, as, as with any report, that they just completely change course there and I don't know if they will do that but it certainly is possible it certainly is and I think that it's definitely something to monitor because of the fact that again here's a coordinator that could be on everybody's radar and also here is a coordinator that Certainly has shown a lot of promise and certainly could have a lot of people going after him. Also, it appears on Twitter that somebody is selling the bucket hat they got from the Auburn basketball game on Saturday to the highest bidder. Now, this doesn't actually surprise me, and we could certainly talk about that because if you followed me at twi- on Twitter, at Alex Houston on Twitter, you have definitely, definitely seen my line updates of all the crazy stuff that happens at Auburn basketball games that just seemed so beyond imagination so many years ago. Is he wearing a football league? Whoa. Wait a minute. Well, it appears that now I'm seeing this thing on Twitter that says the Arena Football League has been restarted? No. 
Wait a minute. Let me let me look into this, ladies and gentlemen, because I could have sworn that the AFL went defunct years ago. Oh my goodness. As you hear it on the air right now, ladies and gentlemen, you may have seen this over uh overnight. I'm only just now seeing it right now. The AFL is back. The Arena Football League is back with new ownership. Let's see what the teams are. If we even have that list right now. Oh, no teams. They have an are you interested in owning a team? Email. Oh, email the AFL.com. Oh, that's that's certainly interesting. Apparel. Do we have anything there? The generic AFL merch, new logo. PR and media is coming soon. Huh. Well, the AFL is back. That's certainly an interesting one that I did not see coming. Did not have that on my bingo card this morning. Not a lot of things on my bingo card. Did not have on my bingo card while listening to Compact Discourse from yesterday, learning that Mississippi, Arkansas, and Alabama share Martin Luther King Day with Robert E. Lee Day. Yeah, I'm certainly not going to delve into it in immense detail because it's already been covered pretty well yesterday by Davis Carroll and his staff on yesterday's Compact Discourse. And if you're interested in learning more about that entire dynamic, what states have done, the entire creation of Martin Luther King Day, and how all that came to be, you can definitely look up Compact Discourse on Spotify. Heck, if you're listening to this episode right now, just scroll back one more on Spotify and you'll find yesterday's episode with a more in-depth look at exactly what that was and exactly why... For example, Alabama and Arkansas still celebrate that. And Mississippi still celebrate that. And just kind of a facepalm effect is how I feel at hearing that news over and over and over again. But again, right now, let's go through the scores real quickly of the NFL over the weekend. We had the playoffs, everybody. The playoffs over three days. Did not seem like a really good idea to spend it over three days, especially for that Dallas team that's going to playing on a Monday and then we'll have to be going to play on a Sunday now with San Francisco getting a few days of rest. So the San Francisco 49ers defeated the Seattle Seahawks pretty handedly 41 to 23. The number 2 seed beat the number 7 seed shocker. The Jacksonville Jaguars with the third largest comeback in playoff history defeated the Los Angeles Chargers 31 to 30. Chargers can never catch a break. The Cincinnati Bengals handled a injured and just downtrodden Baltimore Ravens team that was without Lamar Jackson, even though Tyler Huntley played pretty well with two touchdowns and 226 yards through the air. Joe Burry, Burrow, <laughs> got it done, and the Bengals are advancing. The New York Giants upset the Minnesota Vikings. The Vikings had won 11 games, 11 one-possession games. They are now 11-1 in those games this season. The Buffalo Bills took down the Miami Dolphins in a close one, even without Tua Tagovailoa. The Dolphins gave it their best effort, especially thanks to Two Josh Allen interceptions, but Skylar Thompson threw two interceptions and threw the ball 45 times. Dolphins could not get it done in the last night. Despite Brett Maher missing four consecutive extra points, the Dallas Cowboys destroyed the Tampa Bay Buccaneers 31-14. Trust me, it was not that close. It was 31-6 with just over two minutes left in the game before the Buccaneers scored one more touchdown at the very end. Could that be Tom Brady's final game? We'll have to wait and see on that. But it was Byron Leftwich's final game. And now it seems like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have to find an offensive coordinator and have to find some direction with an aging team and an aging quarterback. 
We'll certainly talk about that and more coming up right after this break. You're listening to Compact Discourse on Weagle 91.1 FM and WeagleFM.com. I'm Alex Houston, and I'll be back in two minutes. Once again, everybody, that's right. I'm going to enter or exit each commercial break, PSA break, with a good morning to everybody listening here on Compact Discourse on Weagle 91.1 FM, WeagleFM.com. And hey, you can follow Weagle at Weagle underscore AU on Instagram and Twitter to get all updates of Auburn's student-run radio station. 52 years is coming up. I am so excited. I've got something in the works for my movie podcast through the lens. I don't know what we're going to do it for Compact Discourse this time around. Who knows? Maybe it might just be me and Davis crying as we depart Weagle one last time. I don't know. We'll figure it out. But we're going to go about two hours into the state of Georgia to Atlanta to talk about something that has been developing, something that has been happening for a long, long time right now, and that is the Atlanta Hawks are a mess. And this is according to reporting from the... Atlanta Journal Constitution, right? Atlanta Journal Constitution, one of the one of the biggest and best newspapers in the Atlanta area. the The title goes: the Hawks team are in are the Hawks are a team in turmoil again. And the story goes, and here's a little screenshot of of reporting on it. So it says, I'm just going to read this in full. Actually, I'm, I'm going to take it part by part, and we're going to handle certain issues as they come up. So among the issues in the front office were quote an ownership nicks trade. Nixed, as in, they they ended the trade, quote, last year of John Collins, who was seen by some in the organization not to fit the current style of play of the Hawks, end quote. So let's go ahead and look at John Collins right now. The Hawks are 22-22. and They are in the play-in tournament, but right now they are trailing teams like the Knicks and Cavaliers, Pacers, and Heat. All teams, including the Pacers, who have basically tanked the last three years and are still winning games somehow, you know, like they, they got rid of DeMontis Sabonis. It seemed like they kind of gave, gave up, but then Benedict Mathurin has been amazing off the bench. Jalen Smith's been pretty good. Tyrese Halliburton has been just mind-blowingly good right now as a point guard, one of the best point guards in the NBA. Buddy Heald's been even better as well. The Pacers are failing upwards and the Hawks are failing backwards. The Hawks, John Collins, I mean, you look at the Hawks and you got Trey Young. 27 points a game. But then you got another point guard, Deontay Murray, uh, 20 points a game. Bogdan Bogdanovich, DeAndre Hunter, both at 15.6 points a game. And then John Collins at just 13 points and 7.8 rebounds per game. If I'm not mistaken, Collins has already signed that big-time contract. And again, when you sign a big-time contract, you definitely don't sign it to have your guy average 13 points a game. Now, of course, the roster is very different. The additions of Giante Murray and also DeAndre Hunter, who has been a lot better this year than he ever was. Like last year, for example. Actually, no, last year he had 13 points a game. I take it back. DeAndre Hunter's been pretty good for Atlanta, especially since he's been not nearly as injured as years prior right now. He's played in 36 games. That is out of 44. Again, you definitely don't want um, someone – 
with that big of a contract. Because let's just look at John Collins' contract for a second. If I'm not mistaken, he took that giant contract. He signed a five-year, $125 million contract. That's going to give him a base salary of around $23 million, $23.5 million this year, $25 million the next, and $26 million, with a cap hit of $23 million. And it is appears to be fully guaranteed. That's out of his player option in 20, 2025 and 2026. So, again, clearly they. I think the team wants to trade because Collins just doesn't really fit with what they're doing right now. He's not, as far as I can remember, a bit, he's not a big three-point shooter. He shoots 22% from three. That is one of the lowest marks on the team, right, because you've got – DeAndre Hunter, Bogdanovich, Murray, Young all shoot over 30%. John Collins shoots 22%. That is the worst on the team of people that have over, heck, over 85 three-pointers. Even Aaron Holiday has 63 pointers and he's shooting 40%. So, and you just, it just doesn't fit. Because, it, it like, the, the issue with it is that they have a guy like Clint Capella who is not a three-point shooting threat, but Clint Capella plays his role very well, and I don't know if John Collins can play that same role since his three-point shooting is non-existent on that team. So that's step one of the Hawks' issues. We're not even done yet. The trade of Kevin Herter who, to the Kings in the offseason, a move made solely to prevent the Hawks from reaching the luxury tax. Herter's shooting has been missed this season. That's true. So, yeah, that's another AJC reporting is about the fact that the team just traded Herder away to get out of a cap situation. Herder's been really good on a Kings team that is kind of just come out of nowhere. He's getting 15 points per game on 41% shooting on 273 attempts. That would make him the best three-point shooter on the Hawks by a wide margin. And again, 41% is crazy, ladies and gentlemen. That is a very high mark for anybody who's shooting that high of a volume. Again, he's not, you know, Trey Young levels of volume, but that's still a pretty high volume and something that the Hawks, I think, are desperately missing. You can certainly ask Hawks fans how they feel about that. And I'm trying to see how that would rank among the rest of the league. Let's see. No, that's the wrong. Well, actually, this will get this will get us somewhere. So let's see. Among three point shooting percentage. Now, this is among people eligible with over a hundred. Damon Lee is leading, and as are other guys like Luke Kennard. Um Brogdon as well, even Buddy Heald. And then you got Herter down here, who's still, again, in the top 20, 25 names, something the Hawks des- would desperately need. And then, of course, the trade for DeJounte Murray, who the Hawks gave up Danilo Gallinari, released and signed by the Celtics, a 2023 protected first-round pick, a 2025 first-round pick, a 2026 pick swap, and a 2027 first-round pick. It was the major move of the offseason to bring in the All-Star as someone to take pressure off of Trey Young. In addition to all the Hawks gave up, which some consider way too much, there was a concern that Murray needs the ball to play, much like Young does. And you can't really tell it from the stats, and, you know, you don't want to just stat read, but I haven't had the time to watch the Hawks in detail this year. Murray is certainly doing well enough. He's scoring 20 points a game, six assists per game. But he's not a spot-up shooter. You know, he's not – he's averaging 35% from three, 45% from the field. He's 83% at the free throw line. That's pretty cool. <clears throat> Excuse me. But it's just 
I think his style is to have the ball, which is why it was such a confusing confusing turn. You you definitely want you have to have that nice mix of guys that can create on their own, but you don't want guys that need the ball. You know what I mean? You don't want guys that have to have the ball to create. I think that's what makes the Warriors so deadly is that Jordan Poole, Clay Thompson are guys that can create on their own, but they don't need the ball to score. And I think there's some concern about the Hawks doing that. And then lastly, the signing of Aaron Holiday, a former high school teammate of Nick Ressler. Now, who is Nick Ressler? Well, he's the son of Anthony P. Ressler, the owner of the Atlanta Hawks. And I did not know that this was even a thing. This is not even on my radar. They've signed both Justin Holiday and Drew or Aaron Holiday, two of the three Holiday brothers, the other being Drew Holiday, of course. And I mean, they're contributors enough, but I mean, Aaron Holiday's got 4.5 points per game. I don't know what contributions he's bringing to the table. I'm trying to get a consensus on exactly what people feel about that. And then also, um, they got Justin Holiday in that trade for Kevin Herter where they just got rid of the cap. So the Atlanta Hawks are kind of in trouble right now. They have since gone backwards in their progression year by year. They're now barely in the play-in, only two games out, out of being out of the playoffs. They're two games ahead of the Bulls and two games ahead of the Raptors, but that's not really saying much. They've only won five of their last ten, though they're on a three-game winning streak. I don't think they'll be able to catch the Cavs or above because the Cavs are 28-17, and 17, but they might catch the Knicks. But again, it's just the fact that even so, this is supposed to be a young core of players that was going to carry this franchise for the next 10 years or so and now what do you do right you gave up your future with that with that draft or with that trade for Deontay Murray Deontay Murray let's look at it again 2023 protected first round pick okay it's protected but they're not gonna if they get in the lottery then you just give away the next one a 2025 first round pick unprotected 2026 pick swap and a 2027 first round pick now, that is all to the Spurs, a team that might as well be tanking at this point. They just have not been very good. They're 13-31 and 31 right now. The only reason they're not in last place in the West is because the Rockets are so bad. So you gave all that up. And even, I mean, even in the case of the swap, right, it's going to be one of those swap worse. So, like, if the Spurs pick is worse than the Hawks, then they, the Spurs would get the better pick. It's just really a mess over there. And again, you gave up your future for a team that's supposed to have, you know, a combo of win now and win with a young core, and it's not really doing anything. And what what's going to change, right? I mean, look at look at the numbers, guys. They're playing good enough. But you, John Collins has a big contract that they need to get rid of. But he's also not playing good enough to justify a trade that's going to give the Hawks a lot of capital, I don't think. I don't know what team looks for him at this point. I think I think the Mavs could certainly be in play because the Mavs just need pieces, desperately need pieces that can contribute on that team. But that's pretty much what's going on with the Atlanta Hawks. And I'm not a Hawks fan, but all I got to say is good luck to everybody that I know that is a Hawks fan. Cameron Kasperzak among them, he tweeted out actually, or quote tweeted, 
the link to the AJ, AJC article with all that information. Definitely a lot going on there. We're going to talk about other things in the NBA and also Auburn basketball coming up right after this PSA break. Don't go anywhere. This is Comeback Discourse on Weagle 91.1 FM. Back here live on Weagle 91.1 FM, WeagleFM.com. This is Compact Discourse. I'm starting to lose my voice. I did a lot of yelling at Auburn basketball over the over the weekend, and now i got to talk for an hour by myself. And for anybody that's listening, you know that I do like talking if you know me. But this is a lot, of course. But we're still going to stick right here. I'm just going to be drinking some water, maybe the occasional cough. Things are not going well. But still, here I am. You know, let's talk about something that's obviously very important to a lot of people out there, guys. You know exactly what I'm talking about. It's time for some... For Eagle Weather. Oh, did you like that? That was a very smooth transition, if I do say so myself. Oh, goodness, I should have brought my raincoat. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> currently 57 degrees in Auburn, a high of 66 today, a low of 49, and a 70% chance of rain overall. Looks like the rain is going to get started around noon Humidity at 89%. It feels like 55 winds to the north at 8 miles per hour. Visibility, good. 10 miles of visibility in the sunset will be at exactly 5 p.m. That's your War Eagle weather for today. And then up ahead, we got rain tomorrow, rain on Thursday, clear skies on Friday, and then more rain, more rain, more rain, more rain, more rain. And then it'll stop raining next Thursday. Not this upcoming Thursday, not two days from now. Nine days from now. So that's pretty fun. Can't wait for that. Or ten days from now, I guess. <coughs> Excuse me. Would be more like it. So, yeah, that is your... For Eagle Weather. I just love that button. I think I'm, I'm going to hit it one more time later on when, it, when you guys are least expecting it. And you know what? That's an Auburn update on campus. And if it's raining, guys, and you need to get away for a few hours, get out of the rain, enjoy some good food, you can go down to the edge at Central Dining, which still... I'm just going to say this one more time. Do not understand the point of naming it that. The Edge at Central Dining. The Edge at at Central Dining. I assume the Edge is like, I don't know if it's location-based or like that it's like cutting edge for dining halls because it has nine stages compared to what Auburn previously had, which is Foy in the Village. But anyway, the Edge has some pretty fire meals looking today. It looks like it's a lot of Hispanic-inspired dishes, a chicken enchilada casserole. I don't know. Ca- I've never heard of that one before. With some Southwest black beans, some Spanish rice, some calabacitas, and garlic roasted broccoli. Sounds pretty good. Then chicken tinga torta, which is spicy braised chicken, queso fresco, jalapenos, and shredded cabbage with guacamole spread, and some crispy waffle fries on the side. Then you've got some carne asada, fajita vegetables, and green chili queso at Urban Kitchen. Also, Urban Kitchen will have some pico de gallo and salsa verde Mexican coleslaw. Then at True Balance, you've got your traditional taco beef, cilantro, lime, rice, and seasoned black beans. True Balance's whole point is that it tends to be, I believe, gluten-free and allergen-friendly. Uh, so, like, no, like, no, it's like no eggs and no butter, stuff like that, I think. And then Streetworks 
has some Berea-style pork tacos with vegetarian refried beans and seasoned white rice, as well as some fresh-pressed flour tortillas. They make the tortillas in-house at the edge. They're pretty dang good. They are really, really good, actually, and that's honestly one of their best claims to fame. Then at Toro Pasta, it's more tacos. You can have taco meat filling, fajita vegetables, black beans, and Southwest roasted corn. You know that's going to be good. And then pizza is your traditional Chipotle Ranch chicken pizza, classic cheese pizza, and pepperoni pizza. I'm guessing the Chipotle Ranch chicken is kind of the the biggest excuse me step out for them, but still, kind of your standard stuff. And then desserts, sugar cookie, your vegan oatmeal cookie. Those are pretty good. I'm not eating any sweets uh, for at least a month. So I'm going to have to abstain myself. But if I wasn't, I'd have about four or five of those vegan oatmeal cookies. I'm not going to lie to you. And then the Trace Leche, which is layered vanilla sponge cake soaked in sweet three-milk mixture with whipped cream and cinnamon. That sounds interesting. But, yeah, that is your uh, War Eagle food update. we, We don't have one of those buttons. Maybe I can get Davis to make us one. Let's see. What depend? Let's see. Um... Yeah, I don't really know. Wait. Um, gentlemen. No, that's not what I was looking for. Maybe it's maybe it's this one. Where have I got my cup of coffee? I believe the Edge does have coffee, so you got that too, guys. I mean, so, so many options, right? And, again, for, for those who were here or younger than me and were not here freshman year and then a bit of sophomore year when the only options were Foy Dining or you had to walk all the way over to the village, let me tell you. Criticisms of the edge aside, it does get enjoyable that our options are not just pizza, burgers, chicken fingers, fried chicken, over and over and over again. One can only eat so much chicken before one starts to lose it. Yeah, that, that's 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 all I really have to say about that. I don't really I don't really know what where else to go from there. And I'm sure you're all probably listening, thinking that well. I'm not going to go to the edge. It's so expensive anyway, and that's fair. But all the other dining options are getting more expensive too anyway. So that's why I specifically go there. And that's just, you know, if anybody's listening, trying to wonder what the menu is today, there you have it. Some options there in case you're trying to get out of the rain, get a few hours dry before the rain keeps on coming. Because as I look back at our War Eagle weather, let me see what I can find on how long the rain's going to last. So it's going to kickstart at noon. Take a little break at 2 p.m. and then keep going until about 7 p.m. tonight, at least according to the forecast. That's about 70% chance of rain overall. Next week, it's going to be 50% on Saturday through 50% on Wednesday, including 60% and 80% interluded there. And the temperature's going to be dropping again. Might actually get some cold weather here, ladies and gentlemen. Obviously, it was very convenient for the cold weather to come and burst on my pipes when I wasn't home. When I was back in Mobile, my apartment actually flooded. That was pretty cool. Now I think I'm just talking out of I'm just talking whatever I can think of at this point. Not sure if there's anybody else even listening at this point. But who even knows? So let's talk about actually, let's talk about Auburn basketball, right? And let's talk about a couple things. One, Jeff Goodman on Twitter. Uh very, very um feels like notorious for his dislike of Auburn basketball. Does not have Auburn ranked. Meanwhile, Auburn is ranked 16th in the country according to the AP poll, and then according to the coaches poll, I think they're 17th, and then in net, they are 26th, which is fair because they don't really have a good win outside of an injured Arkansas team, and every other win, have they? I mean, they've won two games by double digits 
since December 2nd, and that was the 23-point win over Washington and then the 13-point win over Arkansas. They had a 9-point win over Ole Miss, 6 over Mississippi State, a 12-point loss to Georgia, and then a 3-point win over Florida. Also that close game against Georgia State because there's always close games with Auburn basketball. And let's actually talk about what happened this weekend, right? So, as many of you have probably known, if you've paid any attention to Auburn men's basketball or the jungle, more specifically, there's been a big issue with conduct in the lines and just overall the way that the students have acted, especially once the doors open. Now, stampede number one was the... Kentucky game my freshman year, college game day, because a setup that was just very strange. They brought all the students in for game day and then sent them all back outside to get back in line. And you were supposed to be able to get in if you only had if you had the wristband from game day, but that didn't matter. It didn't seem to matter at least. Because I had a friend who was in on game day and did not get back in. And they of course also let extra people into game day, so I don't really know about that one, Chief. Don't don't know if that's if that if that was the best idea either so that happens then you know our basketball season wraps up COVID essentially ends any thoughts of the jungle being like it was freshman year for the COVID year and then of course come back last year you've got stampede number one which was the I'm pretty certain it was I want to say it was the Georgia game because I actually remember going by myself and people started running and I didn't want to partake in such things. But then people passed me up and it was a stampede again. I got stuck in standing room only, which ended up working out in the end. But you had that game, which was your stampede. And then you had the Kentucky game version two, where people camped out. Of course, they also had, yeah, they had the Kentucky game on January 22nd. Basically the game to give Auburn its number one ranking. And... It was a mess. There were people camping out all night, trash everywhere, and then the stampede where people were just crammed like sardines for hours waiting for those doors to open and then running and trying to cut in line as best you could. And after that, Auburn essentially re- reworked the entire system. They extended the barricades even farther out, and they did not let anyone into the little box in front of the doors and had a few security guards wave in people 20, 25 at a time. And that system had worked. It worked all year. Like, there was never an issue at any of the other games that I've been to this year of stampeding or of even crazy lines, except in the bucket hats, right? So last year, Auburn does those amazing tie-dye bucket hats that everyone's so excited for. And this year, they do them again. They do 90s night, 90s vintage-themed bucket hats. They release a picture of them. They say, while supplies last, get your bucket hat. So it starts. I'm prepared for people to get in line. I go and look at I go and look at the line at around 11, 11.30. There's about 5, 10 people there. Okay, not a big deal. Not a big deal at all. And then I try to go to the village, but the village was close. So I go to the edge, eat some food, work on some stuff, waiting for it. And then I hear that the line has started to develop. So I'm like, okay, we got to go back over and take a little gander, obviously, and see what exactly is going on. Okay? And we go. And there's already line basically to the end of the barricade. We get at the very tail end of the barricade. And then more and more people come all the way down to the street at the end of the village. Not Donahue, the other one. I think it's basically Wire Road. Or becomes Wire Road at that point. It's still Magnolia. Excuse me. And we're there. 
and there's the occasional moving, right? You know, people are kind of packing in, but it's still not too crazy, actually. Like, it's more spacious than a lot of games that I've been to. So I was like, this is awesome. You know, I can actually stick my arms out and up and not have to, you know, stick my elbows out and just ride the wave. You know, I got it. People were filling in their space. They were getting rid of their chairs. They were getting ready for the doors to open. Okay, sure. And people wanted these bucket hats. I had a guy, I was wearing the bucket hat from last year, actually, and I had a guy that offered to, he wanted my bucket hat, and he's like, I'll do push-ups. And all I got to say is, okay. I don't really, I don't really know how that. But he's like, if I do 100 push-ups in three minutes, you give me your bucket hat, and if you don't, if I, I don't do it, I'll give you 20 bucks. Yeah, mind you, ladies and gentlemen, people were getting these bucket hats from last year, signed by Suni Lee, and auto, and auctioning them off on Yik Yak for 250 bucks. Bucket hats you cannot find anywhere, but yeah, 100, 100 push-ups that'll really do it. I still, I still worry about that guy and exactly what was going through his thought process during that time. And you guys are going to have to wonder for a bit, too, because we have to go to a commercial break or a PSA break. Oh, dear. Well, don't worry. I'll finish up this story right after this. You listen to Compact Discourse on Weagle 91.1 FM. again everybody this is compact discourse on weagle 91.1 fm weaglefm.com and for those curious i was texting other host of compact discourse davis carol in the break and he said i gotta find myself a consistent co-host well if anybody's listening hey you know where i am in the bowels of the Harold mountain student center in suite 1105 i think I think it's 11 to 5, cause I think. I don't know. Anyway, this is Compact Discourse on Weagle 91.1 FM. We're going to continue the bucket hat story. So, yeah, anyway, people love those bucket hats. They wanted the old bucket hat. They wanted the new bucket hat. Even though this Auburn team is not as good as last year, three losses and a really bad loss to Georgia, that win against Arkansas and that win against Ole Miss kind of rejuvenated the hope, the excitement around the team, and that always seems to happen that way. So what exactly do you do, right? Um... We're in line, and the doors finally open at 6 o'clock, and I can see the guy trying to wave people in, and then people just rush. I'm talking hopping the barricades in the box, trying to get in the door, stampeding. I got separated from my group. I I got smushed. People were getting run over and pushed around, shoving. People were freaking out, to be honest, because it is a very scary situation, you know? Like, I make my jokes about it, my jokes on Twitter about stampedes happening, my jokes about the line and how – I'll do it every time, and I will because, personally, I can deal with that, and it's not like a big deal to me, but it it's crazy. The Kentucky game last year, people were asleep while, when, the, when the first stampede happened. I saw people stepping on people's MacBooks and stuff, and I didn't, I didn't try to step on anything, but you had to keep moving or you were going to get run over yourself. That's just the way it is, unfortunately, you know, and... I certainly, I certainly avoided everything in my path, but you have to keep moving, and that it's, it is, it is pretty scary. It is, and it's, it's certainly 
not something that the university wants to have. And I can imagine big changes are coming because they had that system in place. And I saw the security guard telling people to stop and people were just running right past him. And the problem was, I think it had worked out so many times. They didn't treat it as seriously as they thought it was, it needed to be. And I don't blame the university for that. You shouldn't have to staff these things as, as seriously as they need to, because the fans should behave themselves, but they don't right. They, they don't care. And I know they don't care because I got in the arena and I saw two kids who got bucket hats immediately left the arena with them. So that's certainly not according to the university's plans. Right? So, yeah, another stampede happened. I imagine Auburn has two straight road games before they're going to be back home. In fact, they might, do they have three? I feel like they have three for some reason. No, they have two and then they're going to come back to play Texas a on a Wednesday, which probably won't be a big deal, and they're going to play Georgia. And then, of course, they got Alabama. So the next three home games, Texas A&M, Georgia, and then eventually Alabama. And obviously, I think it's certainly worth mentioning that Auburn's going to have some time to rethink the game plan here. Because I don't know, it's not going to be crazy for Texas A&M unless they're giving something away, which they won't. It might be crazy for Georgia, but it is a Wednesday, right? It, yeah, it's a Wednesday. And it might be, it will be crazy for Alabama, no matter what, I think, in my in my opinion. So you've got some time to figure it out and go back to the drawing board. I don't know what changes are going to come. I don't know how things will be changed, but I'm pretty confident that they will. And speaking of things that need to be changing, the Auburn offense kind of regressed back to zero against Mississippi State. Now everybody's going to point out, well, you know, they – they shot, you know, pretty well, 43% against a good Mississippi State team and 44% from three. Yeah, but they had 18 turnovers. And the Auburn offense has some serious issues right now. And number one is they're really missing Chris Moore. You know, everyone's going to look at the stat sheets and say, oh, Chris Moore, he wasn't that big of a contributor. And I'll pull it up right now, right? He averages six points a game, 2.7 rebounds a game. Yeah, that's true. But he's 50% from three, 75% from the free throw line, and 53% from the floor. That's just a consistent scoring that this team doesn't really possess at this current point. That's just not really something that they, they need more consistency from those kinds of positions. And without Chris Moore, puts a lot of strain on Jamie Williams, puts a lot of strain on Alan Flanagan. And without him, you'd like to see more of Yoan Treor. But Yoan Treor is just, you don't want to say he's unplayable, right? Because nobody's unplayable, especially in the Bruce Pearl system. But He's traditionally the inbound guy, and if Daniel Williams is not on the floor, Yoan is his backup, and he'll handle the inbound passes, and two of Auburn's turnovers came on inbound passes where he just made the wrong choice. I don't know why on inbound plays you don't throw it to the biggest guy on the floor. Seems pretty easy, you know, or create a mismatch where it's not Wendell Green, the shortest guy on the floor, versus a guy that's definitely bigger than him, right? And I think the team's going to miss Chris Moore. I think the team is also going to miss the fact that I just – I the offense doesn't run nearly as smoothly without Wendell Green on the floor. I think they need to go back to a system they had last year where Zepp would run point without Wendell on the floor. I think now instead you've got Wendell running point with Zepp as the two guard, and then the other lineup seems to be like Wendell with KD as the two guard, Trey with KD as the two guard, Trey with Zepp as the two guard. Give Zepp the basketball. Because it just the offense is just not as complex as it needs to be. It's not complex anyway. It never has been complex. That's kind of the point, right? That's kind of the Bruce Pearl offense for you. 
But you got to find a way to create something. And I think Zepp is your better choice there than anybody else. Or heck, let Allen run the offense. Allen Flanagan, obviously. And again, they won the game. And no game in the SEC is easy. Even though Mississippi State is 12-5 and and they had lost, let's see, they had lost five of their last six, including a loss to Drake, bad loss to Alabama, bad loss to Tennessee, 50-58 loss to to Georgia, where neither team shot over 30%, which is crazy. And Mississippi State was 7 of 22 from the free throw line, one of the worst free throw shooting performances I've ever seen. Then against Auburn, they didn't hit a three-point shot. I don't know how that's possible not to hit a three-point shot in today's game. If you guys find it out, let me know, please. I, I I really would appreciate that. And with that, guys, that'll wrap up my first episode of Compact Discourse back this semester. I thank you for joining me on this fine Tuesday morning. And I'll see you guys all next week for more Compact Discourse. And Compact Discourse will be back tomorrow with Davis and Cameron taking over Wednesdays as well. A lot of excitement here at WEGL, a lot of programming at WEGL. So stick with us right here on Weagle 91.1 FM and WeagleFM.com. And I'll see you guys next week.